you know what? I really don't miss seeing dead bodies anymore. Like the, the spot news stuff, I don't miss that. That was that was not good. I got quote tweeted a couple times too by a couple stories. Um, and and I'm gonna tell you what happens when you get quote tweeted on like a major story. Um, you gain about ten followers and about a thousand death threats. Hi everybody, Todd Meisner here for the Talking Pictures podcast. If you have ever entered a clip contest, and you know what photojournalist hasn't. You will definitely want to listen to this week's podcast. Our guest is Kyle Grantham, the National Press Photographer Association Clip Contest Chairman. Kyle is a marvelous photographer and storyteller, so in addition to the inside scoop on clip contests, we talk about that time he broke the internet, Wyoming do's and don'ts, and much, much more. Stick around. I think you'll enjoy the show. Hello? Hello, Kyle. Hey, Todd. How's it going? I'm pretty good. Is your last name pronounced Grantham? You got it. Oh, wow. First try. Yay. <laughs> I'm well known for butchering people's last names. So, uh, well, here, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, you, I, you know, I was looking at your resume today, and you have volunteerism. You have volunteerism listed on your resume. Look at you. Aren't you a good person? <laughs> I guess. I uh, Or you're a glutton for punishment, one or the other. That's probably more true, yeah. Did you did you lose a bet to become National Clip Chairman in 2015? Uh, so so I've, I've worn too many hats for the NPPA, and I think, I think I'm just used to the – the masochist, I don't know. But I think, uh, I think that's probably what led to it. Yeah, because it's uh, you know, uh, we you you sent us the clips. We judged a, a region. I don't know. Can I say what region we just recently judged? Is that is that we? You we, can because I did, honestly, I don't remember what I. Okay, said. well, we, <laughs> we 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 judged the southern region last. Okay. That, that, that everybody should know. If you're in the southern region, you're listening to the podcast, and you're pissed off about your results in September, you can blame me. It's all but, it's all your fault. But it's all my fault. Um, it took us four. It took us four days and in, in one and a half to two hour spots to get everybody in the same room to be able to do it. Are there any horror stories of clips? Because going through the clips, my first thought was that people never get like there were images in the wrong category. There were there were images that people would turn in multiple images that like you only needed one, and you watered down your entry by adding four more. So are there any horror stories about, you know, having to deal with all of this nonsense? I mean, how long is your podcast? Oh, well, we can make it as long as we want. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, so so I've been entering the contest since, I don't know, whenever I became a professional, I guess like 2010 or 11, I've been entering the contest. And it was something that was kind of foreign to me when I, you know, I was never really big on contests when I was in college. and whatever. It's just, it wasn't a thing. And then I was working in Evansville, Indiana with then national clip chair, Denny Simmons and region four back when it was numbered regions, uh, clip chair, Aaron McCracken. And so like, they pushed me to get into it. And so I would watch them like dealing with stuff all the time. And, and I don't know what on earth, like I was thinking, but you know, down the road four years, I, I volunteered to take it over. So I clearly, I don't learn um, but I, I, there's always been with this contest, like probably a monthly nightmare. Um, you know, back then the problem was the entry system. It was old and clunky and it, written in custom code that was outdated and the coder was no longer with the organization. So it was always a, a an adventure trying to get things fixed. Um, you know, so it was like, like I said, back then it was just always something, um, you know, now, two i guess two years ago seth gittner and i sat down and we're like okay let's just make something new from scratch and literally from from that day on it's been 
it's been the longest beta test of any <laughs> anything ever. I mean, like literally, we're constantly finding new ways that people screw things up, and then trying to like adjust the contest on the fly to it. So, um, I mean, you you saw the email I sent you as a judge. Like that email when it first started might have been three paragraphs, and now it's probably like could fill half a book because every time someone does something that just doesn't make any sense, I have to add a paragraph about it. Yeah. I, so, I actually had, I read it and then I had to stop halfway through and get a glass of water and then keep going. Yeah. yeah. So like the biggest thing I deal with. So, so I guess I should back up a little bit. So the, the way the contest kind of runs now, like when it, for that first year after I took it on from like this time, I guess maybe September, of 2015 really through 2016 a good chunk of it um it was kind of just me by myself and and you know when we had a 200 region month backlog so we had, we had 200 sets of it was more actually it would have been like 230 sets of of stuff to get the contest caught up and through 2015 it was it was me um, so I'm going out and I'm just harassing people left, right, and center. Like, Hey, judge this. I need it next week. Hey, judge this. I need it next week, whatever. And we got it all caught up and it was crazy. And we jumped into 2016 and the whole time I'm going through, it's just like, I don't know, I guess this is the best way to do it. And I'll send the stuff out and it'll come back. And like the biggest thing we still have, it's been driving me nuts the whole time is you know, we allow people to enter a photo story or package or whatever in every category except for feature single image because it specifically says in that category it's single image. Um, but the judges <laughs> will routinely like, you know, the files are numbered like one through six or one through 10 or whatever. And they all had the same file names. Just that number changes. You know, you'd think intuitively, Oh, these 10 images go together. Right. And judges will be like, yes, number five, first place. And we're like, no, no, that's just that's one of ten. It's either the whole thing or it's or it's none of it. You gotta you gotta pick. Well, it's, you know we're we're giving essentially really it's a trap to be honest with you to, for the entrant. It's, it's you I, like hey look I got ten green images here and I'm gonna put them all together and like nine times out of ten just the one is probably better like you said right. Yeah, but, that's exactly but, what happened. And actually, right. I got we got caught in the trap. We got yeah. caught in the trap and then we judged it and then. I, I reread. I'm like, okay, we're done. Yeah, I could write all this up. And then I, I'm like, oh, crap. We yeah. have to go back over these where we were. Oh, these are in multiple yeah. categories. Oh, crap. So then we all had yeah. to reconvene. And so it's, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a wrinkle that's supposed to be in there to reward good editing, right? Because if you tell a good story or you go to an event and you get like eight good photos, I don't want someone to enter eight good photos and that be their whole the whole entry they have for that month and they get first, second, third, um, in, in the one category and sweep it. And, Oh, well, that's cool. That's great. But you know, oh, I never thought about it that way. I right. didn't think about right. it that so, way. Okay. Okay. Now so I get that's it. the, that's the reason we allow it is cause you know, I mean, you can go to some stuff and you can really just kill that assignment and, and sweet, you know, if you've got five or six photos that are just great from the women's March or, you know, you covered a, I don't know, a forest fire and you got, you know, 10 great images out of it, you know, put it all in as one entry, let it stand up there and let it kick ass. But, you know, like we would also run into the opposite where somebody did them all and then they win the whole category. And that was great, but you know, it was all from one thing. So it, it just didn't feel right. But it, but like I said, it becomes a trap because people then go in and they're like, Oh, well, you know, I've got like two or three good photos I don't know if two or three good photos as an entry is enough. I mean, let me stick a couple more in there and it dilutes it. We yeah, that happened thing. a lot. Yeah. Kills you, right? And you see that a lot. So it becomes this thing where, like, you know, all right, I'm going to let you do it, but I'm adding the added requirement for judges to kind of judge the picture editing of the entry now. And if you don't have that skill, which a lot of them don't, I mean, myself included, I've killed myself enough times doing that in the contest, and it's my own rule. Um, you know, it 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 happens. So I don't know. It's one way to keep it keeps the contest interesting, but it's a headache every month. Uh, I have at least one judge that sends them back and it's like uh, second place is the fourth image in this one in sports action and uh, you know general news it's this third image in this one and like or they'll award like two or three from the same entry like first second third 
is like image two, image five, and image seven. And I'm like, well, that's all one entry. So I'm going to need you to go back and tell me what second and third place are. Uh, what does it say about photographers? The, it, I mean, we're supposed to be good at detail, right? I mean, we were, we were, uh, what was it? Uh, um, I think it was Ryan and I can't pronounce his, his last name, but he's the, the young photographer from, um, Southern Illinois, uh, just won college, uh, uh, the COP's, um, Oh, sports uh, portfolio. Ryan McAllister, yeah. Yes. Okay. Thank you for, for pronouncing his name. It, it, he's a really nice kid, and and uh, and his sports portfolio was very well edited. But he asked the question about what people uh, on Facebook. He asked the question of what young interns or interns or young photographers should be doing with their applications, and and everything that I wrote in in that entry, and I think that everybody else kind of related to was that attention to detail. You know, in your application and your letter and your portfolio and your cut lines, you just, it has to be, you have to watch all those little itty bitty details. And, and, and yet when we go to judge a contest, we can't read the rules. Oh yeah. And, and the, I mean, you know, again, I'm as guilty of it as anyone. I mean, I think my junior and, uh, my junior and, and uh, senior years at Ohio, I, I kept applying for the, um, the, the Virginian pilots um, summer photo internship. And I kept calling it the Virginia pilot. I mean, like it's one letter, but it's so dumb. Like, and, and, and I know, you know, now that I'm running a department, I, you know, I look at the stuff when the resumes I got for my interns this summer and I'm like, why are you including that? Like what I don't, I, I don't need to know about your janitorial service experience for a, for a video internship. That doesn't help me. I got a what whole, I got a whole portfolio prints of nudes. Oh God. It was, it was a, it was delivered in a box. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. You know, it's like, Oh, these are really, wow. These are really well lit, you know, artistic nudes. What in the world? I, I don't, I don't even know what goes through someone's head. First of all, it was expensive to send it to me. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know why, why they thought they needed to send us the, 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 the nudes from their art class that to get a photojournalism internship. It just, it seemed weird. Uh, it is weird, but that's one of the ones that always stands out, uh, as, as what were you thinking entry? (laughs) So does anybody ever call you to complain? Does anyone ever call me? I, um, so I once had an entrant. Mostly people Facebook message me. Uh, I, I probably get like four or five of those a month. Not always like complaining about the contest, but I did have one entrant like seriously go on for like a week uh, with just nonstop complaints about something, about the quality of the results in, in one region. And, you know, I mean, I just, you, you just try to kind of kill them with kindness kind of thing. Um, but it was really kind of crazy to me like the level of, of obsession they had with that. And like, well, you know, that's it. I'm not going to be a member anymore. And it's like, I, I'm sorry. I don't, at, at a certain point, you just, there's nothing you can say to make them, to make them feel better. But yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I, I entered the contest. Uh, there's a whole reason I took on the contest is because I loved entering the contest. Um, I guess, I don't know that and the masochist thing, but I don't think I ever got that like obsessed with it where I was going to, when Kathleen Curtis, you know, ran it, that I was going to email her and be like, oh, I hate you. These results are so bad. Like, you know, it's, it's judged by volunteers. It's judged by, and I think a lot of the reasons people, people missed up is because, you know, we're all, we're all stressed anymore. You know, newsroom staffs are, you know, a, a quarter of the size that they used to be. We're all trying to squeeze this in when we've got two hours here or there. It's, it's the results are never going to be perfect, but yeah, some people do. They get they get really upset about stuff. Well, now that you're out of the newsroom, and I guess we should say your current job, you are a covering photojournalist, right? Is that a good way to describe describe I, you? I guess. I guess. I so so yes. Yeah, so I worked for. Um, I moved around a lot. So I, I did a fellowship out of college with Sacramento Bee, um, and then from that worked for a year in Evansville um, for scripts and. Uh, that was great. I, honestly, it was my first real job. It was the best job I ever had. 
and that's to not disparaging at all to the other papers I worked for. But I mean, just the staff there was amazing. Uh, the the one and only time I had a real photo editor, Kevin Slank, guy was just just uh, unbelievable for me um, in my growth. And um, I got laid off there after about a year, and uh, I moved back moved back home, was living with my parents, and just moping. And when I was applying for jobs at like bigger papers, everybody wanted to pay me less. And you know, I mean, how it works, it was just crazy. Like I can't move to Atlanta and make less money. That's just silly. Um, cause I wasn't making a ton in Indiana and, uh, and this paper, I applied for this job in Wyoming at the same time. I think it was a finalist for a job in Pittsburgh and I'm like, come on Pittsburgh. And they were taking forever. And next thing you know, Wyoming's like, look, what are we going to do to get you to move Wyoming? And I'm just very like, damn it. I'm going to have to move to Wyoming. <laughs> the only job I'm going to get right now. And, and it was great. I mean, you know, I, I knew nothing about Wyoming at the time. Um, I didn't give it any credit. You know, I figured cows outnumber people and that's about all I got on, on that state. And it was gorgeous. I mean, it was just, it was an amazing, amazing time. And it was crazy. No, no, no sooner that I had moved out there. I think I'd been out there three months, uh, paper I had interned at in Delaware, uh, like two summers before called me and they're like, Oh, Hey, we have a guy retiring. I'm just curious. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I, you know, I was, I was 20 miles away from you for four months. And you guys are going to call me now that I'm on the other side of the country. Um, but it, you know, you know how corporate works. It took a good like eight months for them to be in a position to actually fill it. And so they called me again and, and I came back out and I was with the news journal in Wilmington for almost five years um, before I, I was kind of done um, with, with corporate newspaper life. Um, I watched that staff go from, I think it was close to 15 people when I started down to like six. And it, I mean, you know, I love the guys that are there. It was, it was great. Um, I still, you know, love seeing them all the time, but it was just, you know, how it is for everybody. You know, do, do more with less, do way more with less, do even more than that with even more or less. And uh, I had an opportunity. My, uh, my neighbor was elected County executive. <laughs> hey, you gotta like that. That's, that's a good, that's a good time. Um, and the, the county government has its own television operation, which is pretty cool. Um, and it had kind of been the, the previous county executive kind of used it like a, more of like a propaganda tool. It was a little more like, Oh, Hey, look at me. I'm, I'm here. I guess I probably shouldn't say that, but I mean, it was there. Everything was about him. You know, it wasn't about the, the stories that are here in this county. Um, and, he wanted to change that. He's like, look, I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about, you know, the stories that aren't getting told, which, you know, by no fault of, of the journal, you know, they had a, a third of the staff anymore. A lot of stories were falling through the cracks. So for me, it was, it was great. You know, like here's, here's an operation um, that you can go, you can find stories, you can tell good stuff and you can do it on your own, you know, your own way you want to do it. And um, yeah, so I don't know. I'm still doing some journalism stuff. I'm not doing it in the, traditional corporate journalism sense but i still get to tell stories and i and i have a nine to five with now which is great i get to see my wife every night which is cool because i work nights and she worked days before so you know we're like five years into this and well, i finally get to see her so that's that's <laughs> that's a plus <laughs> we've been here for five years i think i've seen her for six months of it well it's funny so she was uh I mean, for the better part of the last year has been studying. She's, a, she's an accountant for her CPA exam. And so she just took her last test um, a couple weeks ago, but for like the five, first five months of this job, she's just like, I'd come, I'd be like, Oh yeah. She'd be like, all right, love you. Bye. I'm going upstairs to study. And it's like, what? Well, I'm here now. Where are you? Yeah. Where are you going? She's like, bury yourself. Now that she's done with all that. And I've got like a normal job. It's it's great to like get to see how the other half lives. You know, like oh, is this what it's like to have a normal a normal job? What is this? It's it's crazy. And you know, I miss um, you know, I miss watching football on Sundays. And and now I see everybody on the sideline that I used to be there with. And certainly, when you know cool stories break, I'm I'm reading the work and kind of missing being in the newsroom, hearing it before everybody else. But at the same time, it's there's definitely a recovering aspect to it. I do, I do look back and think, you know, you know what? I really don't miss seeing dead bodies anymore. Like the, the spot news stuff. I don't miss that. 
that was kind of taxing and it's nice to not have to worry about listening to the scanner or what you're going to see when you get out there. Yeah. I, 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 everybody who, who I've talked to, who is recovering or retiring or whatever they're doing, have left the, the newsroom. It's the, there's still some triggers that they hear will like, oh, 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 wait a minute. The muscle memory is still there to mm-hmm. run to your car or grab your gear to go do something. And it's it's hard to wean off the heroin, heroin which is which is photojournalism if from a traditional newsroom sense where you're, and it, it seems to be a universal thing with everybody that I talk to about this. It's 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 great because now their their blood pressure is all not chemically being brought down, <laughs> but being brought down naturally. But anyway, so I, I would say the the one thing um, that does get me, I'm just really mad that the Sixers and Eagles are good now. You know, I just I need four <laughs> years of covering them through like the worst, like the Chip Kelly era. Good lord! And you know now they're like, okay, no, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good now. Uh, we're gonna go to Super Bowl, and uh, you're not gonna get to cover it. So whatever. Well, you know that that tr- that's a great transition into the snow game. Uh-huh. I was looking through your portfolio and looking through your 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 website today, and I thought, well, there's a great question: the snow game and your viral blog. Yeah, so that's funny uh, too. So when. All right, so so that game uh, for anyone who doesn't remember or isn't from this area or didn't cover it, um, for I guess ninety nine point nine percent of people, um, it, it was supposed to be like, you know, uh, an hour before the game, we might get an inch of snow, uh, so get there early, which we got there like four hours before the game started anyway, because Philly traffic's terrible on game day, um, and you know just just be ready, but it'll be fine after it'll probably melt before the game even starts. And that was the weather report for like all week, you know, and it's and it so funny because like two weeks, maybe three weeks before that, it was starting to get cold. We had a couple like early flurry showers that, that year. Um, I said to somebody, I'm like, you know, because I, I had worked in Wyoming and I covered Wyoming football. Um, and in Wyoming, like when you're covering a football game, it's, it's not just cold. It's like cold I don't even know. Uh, I, it's the closest thing I can imagine to being like in the Arctic. It's <laughs> it, it's it's below freezing and like well below freezing most games because you're at eight thousand feet. So it's it's cold. You wonder why all the good players are in Florida and Georgia oh, and Alabama, right? And uh, and it's always windy. So you know, imagine twenty two degrees. But, oh, we've got a forty mile an hour wind. Hope you enjoy that. Uh, it, and you know, open ended stadium. So yeah, it was oh, it was bad. So, you know, but I never, I didn't cover anything in the snow. Um, and I said to somebody, I was like, you know, you would think a, a full season in Wyoming, I covered, I would cover one game in the snow. I just want to cover one football game in the snow. And then, you know, sure enough, we care a couple of days later, oh, there's going to be like this, this little just stuff before the game, but it's not going to be there when the game starts. And I'm like, yeah, man, you know, of course, it'll be that close to it again, you know, and I'll, and I'll not get to cover any football in the snow. And so, I, you know, I'm there early. I'm hanging out. There's nothing going on. Um, and I'm just, I'll go walk around the stadium. And it's maybe an hour and a half before game time. You know, the players usually are out there just kind of running around, warming up. And I walk out and it's snowing, like snowing, snowing. It's, it's gray. You can't see the other side of the field. And I'm like, uh, this doesn't look like an inch that's going to go away. This, this looks like this might be around for a little bit. So I came back in and I, I talked to a couple of the other guys that you know I'm always there with. And I'm like, you know, guys, I'm kind of wondering if this is going to actually be something kind of sticky. Like we might we might be in for something here. Like, no, no, it's going to blow off. It's going to blow away. Look at the radar. The radar says, oh, it's going this way. I don't know what happened because it then proceeded to just snow harder and harder and harder for the next four hours. And we come out for kickoff. You can't see the other end of the field. If I remember right, I think they still did their like pyrotechnic thing when they come out and it just all hung at the field level. <laughs> so it was like this. It was it was foggy. It was snowing. There was at least six inches of snow on the field. And I was not remotely dressed for this. Like I had a warm coat. I had jeans on. I had nothing remotely waterproof. So I'm out there in the snow. Um, trying to trying to shoot a football game, and you know, I came up, you know, in high school I shot film, 
I had film cameras. Uh, you know, I, I understand how to manually focus a camera. Um, but I've never shot an NFL football game and had to manually focus a camera. And I sure enough have never tried to do it through the viewfinder of a 6D or a 1D Mark III, which is probably half the size of the viewfinder on the Pentax K1000 or something. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm, yeah, sure. I guess that guy's in focus. I don't know. Maybe. Um, it was it was just crazy. So it got to a point where you just, you're just kind of trying to, I don't know, you're not trying to make art, but you're just trying to find ways to make the frame look interesting because you have no clue if it's going to be in focus or not. You have no clue if, you know, what guy actually has the ball. They were, they, you watch Matt Stafford drop back and throw it, and you're like, I don't know if that got caught or not. And then you just kind of wait for the whistle, and then you run down the field and see. It, it, I don't know how the players played in it, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, your picture, so anyway. your picture of Stafford is like a mosaic painting of him, you know? I mean, some of them it, came it, out that way. Yeah, it's it, just it, it looks. It's like I think you know he's there, and you can tell it's Matt Stafford because he's got a Lions uniform on. It's a very, it's a, it's a cool picture because it's, you know, aren't you glad the game wasn't at night? Yeah, well, it was kind of. I don't. I don't think it was a one o'clock start. It may have been a four o'clock. I don't. Oh, I know when I left, it was pitch black dark. Oh lord. So. And now I also stayed for a while after because this is this is this is where I'm an idiot. Um, so when I moved to Wyoming, I had a Grand Cherokee, great car for Wyoming. Right. Yep. Um, and I moved out there in the winter. So it was a great car for that. And then, you know, I noticed I'm like, hey, you know, there's like no cars on the road when you're driving out here and uh, the speed limit's like 80. So it'd be a really good idea. I'm going to get a sports car. And so I traded that Grand Cherokee in, and I got a Camaro and, um, then winter came to Wyoming and I was like, wow, this is one of the dumber decisions I've made in my life. Um, so, so but hey, I survived. Um, and uh, but I had this Camaro when I was when I moved back here, and I that game like again nobody expected it, so the roads didn't get plowed anywhere around Philly. Um, I I know I stayed after that game like to the point they were gonna lock the gates to the parking lot because I was just waiting for the roads to get better too. So to be honest with you, I may have stayed like five hours after the game, and that's why it was that dark. But but anyway, but yeah, it was definitely, I don't know. It was, it was crazy, the whole thing. So anyway, by halftime, so it came at halftime. I have no idea if I've made any images. Uh, I am the coldest I have ever been in my life. And when I was in Wyoming, one night I got out of the car in the middle of nowhere because uh, I saw negative 29 degrees on the, on the little thermometer thing. And, and, you know, again, as dumb as I was at 22 or 23, um, I'm like, yeah, I wonder what that feels like. I'm going to pull over and get out of the car, right? And it was in the middle of this this area of Wyoming called the Shirley Basin, which is uh, no one lives there. It's like 120 miles of just nothing but coal mines and uranium mines um, and wind farms. And so I, I pulled over to one spot. I got out, and it was a good, like, 20-mile-an-hour wind. So I think I one day did the math on it. It was like negative 70 wind chill or something. Um and it's crazy. Like the first thing you notice is like your nose hairs freeze. It's weird. Um, but that, that air just comes into your body and just anything. It was, it was crazy. Um, that was not, that was not as cold as I was in Philly. Oh Lord. Yeah. So it was, again, I'm in jeans. I've got a jacket on, um, but it's just constantly snowing on you. Heavy snow. Uh, if you try to kneel, you're kneeling in snow. Um, it's it was windy, so it was like a good swirling wind in the stadium, and you're holding, you know, metal, you know, like a like the older Canon 400 millimeter lens. Um, it was just it was just miserable, and then you know you're trying to get up and run, and so I came back in at halftime and like thawed out and looked at you know what I'd made because I didn't have a clue if I had any images, and I'm I'm going through the stuff and I'm like I. I hope these reproduce in print. Uh, they look pretty cool on the screen, but I have no idea what's going to happen when this hits newsprint. And then, you know, ran back out for the second half. And luckily the snow let up enough that I could start autofocusing with, with some wider lenses. But that night I just, we had started a blog a couple of weeks before um, where we would do kind of like behind, you know, oh, this is how we made these images things. And I, I remember at night, like 1am, I'm like, you know, maybe I should type something up about this. 
And sure enough, like woke up in the morning, came in the, in the newsroom and they were like, yeah, so the website's been down for an hour. Uh, thanks. And I'm like, wait, what? And apparently it'd been picked up by like Deadspin and the Verge and uh, USA Today uh, for the win column. And Reddit had like, it was one of the top things on Reddit and it was just bonkers. Um, and, and it kept crashing the website because they had these blogs looped in through the main site. Um, so I was like, I, oops, is that a bad thing? I don't, I don't know. I, I've never done anything like that before. Um, and then it was crazy. So then all these people who a whole subset of the internet that like to just, I don't know, ruin people's days, I, I guess. Um, subset of the internet. I don't know. Maybe it's the whole internet. I don't really know, but it was just all these people are like, no, these are fake. Oh no. See, he actually did this. Like, well, I broke down the metadata and the metadata says this wasn't even taken on that day. So, you know, like, dude, I just didn't fix the clock in my camera. I don't know what to tell you. Like it was, it was just crazy. I started responding to some of these Reddit comments and people were like, just had these absurd conspiracy theories about how, I don't know. I was, I was an alien or something. And it was, it was nuts. Um, but it was, that whole thing was wild. <laughs> and I'm glad I don't think I've done anything remotely as viral uh, since then. Like once is enough. Um, you know, that's the funny thing you say that because everybody we've ever talked to on this podcast who's had something go viral are done with it. Yeah. That it's like, yeah, no, like Tim Ty, he, he was like, yeah, I'm okay. Once I'm good, you know, yeah. I'm I'm done with it. That whole thing at Missouri with the protest. Yeah. yeah, he was he was pretty much over it after five seconds of having people call his cell phone constantly. He was he yeah. was he was over it. You know, everybody's like, Oh, I wait, I wanna go viral and then you you go viral. If you I mean if you have a brain in your head and you're not part of the subset of the of the uh, internet that, that has no soul. But anyway. I've had a couple of tweets that like like I get retweeted by Barack Obama one time and like that was bad. Nice. Uh, yeah. As you can imagine, you know, there's a lot of people that follow him that just don't have nice things to say about anybody. Um, that was, that was not good. I got quote tweeted a couple of times too, by a couple stories. Um, and, and I didn't tell you what happens when you get quote tweeted on like a major story. Um, you gain about 10 followers and about a thousand death threats. So awesome. just like, yeah, the internet really kind of sucks. So what are the kinds of things that that uh, projects that are visually gratifying to you to do now? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, so it's been a little bit of a transition because I went from being, you know, kind of a jack of all trades in newspaper journalism, doing stills and video and, you know, put the gallery together and we would write monthly kind of features and stories and stuff to now 99.9% video. Um, I've actually just kind of like put together an Instagram feed for the County. Cause I'm like, I got to find a way to still take some still photos here and there, um, and make them relevant. But I guess, uh, for me, there are a lot of cool stories here, um, that just I, either I didn't have a lot of time to pursue them when I was working for a newspaper because, you know, everything is so, you know, get this up and then get on to the next thing. Um, so like, there's some things that I'm trying to go back and revisit, uh, to just spend more time on and feel like I, I can do it right. Um, and then there's other stuff that, you know, one of the cool things about working in journalism at all is just getting to go places and see things and do things that other people don't, you know, now that I'm in government, I kind of get that same thing, but from the other side. So, you know, we have some really big infrastructure projects that we're working on and, and it might sound absurd, you know, oh, hey, we're working on a giant sewer expansion. But like, I'm looking forward to going underground and like getting to see Hell how yeah. this, this stuff's, you know, getting put in. Um, you know, it's like that kind of stuff. I still get, I think the biggest reason that I got into journalism is just I always was curious and like to learn what made things work and how things ticked and whatever. Um, and so those kind of things really still fascinate me. Um, and we, and you know, we also have just a lot of cool characters here, especially in this County. I mean, the vice president lives here. Uh, we've got, you know, any number of the random celebrity between Ryan Philippi or Aubrey Plaza that, you know, they'll pop into the County every now and then when they come back home. Um, and then just, just cool people and innovators. Um, 
so I'm trying to we're we're trying to find a way to do not like how do you don't want it to be like one in eight million or humans of New York, but find a way to find interesting people here and do whether weekly or biweekly features on just the people in this county that, that people can be proud of you know, to say like, Hey, you know, I live in the same place as that person, or, you know, I know that guy or I went to high school with him or whatever. Um, we're trying to find a way to build that platform out. You know, obviously we're for the government it, things move at a different pace than they do in journalism. Um, you know, we, we could kind of freelance a little bit on our own time and put things together and build, you know, whatever we had to build, you know, now things kind of have to go through an approval process and some departments have to sign off and it moves at a much different pace than I'm used to. But uh, we've got, you know, like a new website rollout that we're going to have here in um, in the hopefully before the spring, maybe by the end of the winter. And like, I just I'm so excited for that because there's going to be a lot of potential for ways to push multimedia display. And, and we have this like public access television station, but um we have no way to quantify the the number of people who are watching it and how they're consuming it and whatever you know i'm i'm looking forward to getting into this method of delivery that i know i can really get metrics out of and figure out okay how are people watching this what are people you know what's attracting people more than the other and and ways to really control the display and use that interactive platform to to storytell again. I mean, like just chomping at the bit for it to get out. Very cool. Very cool. Sounds exciting. Sounds like you've got a lot of the, the, you're not, how should I say this? You've got a lot to keep your creative brain rolling. Yeah. I mean, we have, we have, you know, there's still some of the things that we have to do. You know, we've got, you know, different events that we put on, whether it be like the camp out in the park event or uh, you know, we have these these festivals geared towards kids, whether it's the fairy fest or the anime fest or whatever. Um, and we go out and we do little, you know, event stories just like we would do in journalism that are just get out there two minutes, get an interview kind of things. Um, but it's it's when, you know, I have the time to go and dig into stuff that I want to do. I went out, um, the news journal had uh, one of the photographers was named a national artist in residence at Gettysburg National Park. It's, uh, and that it, was it's a cool. Place that, yeah, that yeah, was uh, that was a cool project. So anyway, you tell people about it. I shouldn't have jumped in. No, 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 it's fine. Um, yeah, but Bill Bretzker, I mean, he's been going out there for twenty some odd years to document this park, and it was something I knew of because Bill and I both work nights, um, and we would sit right next to each other at the journal, and it, he would like he'd be going through historic photos um, from the battle. And trying to figure out exactly where the body was and what time of day it was photographed at, analyzing the shadows, and then you get in crazy internet arguments with people who didn't agree with it. It was it fascinated me, like the level of obsession people have with historic World War II photos. But it was one of those things that, like, when he was when he was named that you know that he had that honor, it blew me away that the journal didn't do anything about it. And I was like, this is just kind of crazy. Like, this is huge. He's he's got a national artist in residence at this park and he's going to be out there for six weeks and the work he was doing is awesome um so i just said to the guys i'm like look uh or the the executive staff i'm like look um you know we we have we're a government office we're not you know gonna go finance trips all over the country to tell stories but i'm like look if i go and do this on my own dime can i have the time to just go out there and spend a day and just kind of follow him around and see what he's doing because this is exactly that kind of thing where, you know, here's someone in our community doing some awesome stuff, putting Delaware on the map. And, uh, you know, they were like, yeah, this sounds great. And gave me the time. I got up at like three o'clock in the morning, drove to Gettysburg, got there before the sun came up and just, uh, it was awesome for me. I think I'd been to Gettysburg once when I was a kid and, you know, I look back on a lot of those field trips that you take as a kid and, you know, I don't know, I guess it's great to get out of school for a day. But now that I'm older and I can appreciate it and then I have somebody who really understands the history of it, it goes right into that whole, you know, curiosity thing for me where I got to go hang out in a day and learn everything about this park from somebody who really knew and um, and then get to tell everybody else what he was doing. And, you know, again, that, that local pride aspect of it that everybody else can say you know hey I, I see this guy's work all the time in the paper like that's that guy uh, yeah it was pretty cool so those are the kind of things that I want to do and those are the kind of things we're trying to do um, 
Well, the field trip, the field trip made me think of a question. Um, what was the aha moment for you, either as a kid or a young adult, that made you wanted to go into this business? Yeah, so uh, it was kind of like kind of two or threefold. So when I was in high school, I was 100% convinced like I was going to go to the Naval Academy. Um, I was going to study aerospace engineering. I was going to fly F-18s. Uh, it was going to be awesome. One day I was going to walk on Mars. Uh, I just had a whole plan. Um, it was just yeah, boom, boom, boom. And then I was too smart for my own good. Uh, got ahead of myself in my credits. And I was like, I don't know, I'll take a photography class to fill out my schedule. That'll be fun. Um, sure. So but the photography chair I had, uh, the first like six weeks of the class didn't let us touch a camera. We just read textbooks and it was terrible. And I was like, this is, this is dumb. Um, cause you know, if you know me, I have no shortage of opinions. Um, and, That's and I like you. you know, <laughs> You're you're one of the few. Um, I just but I, I was just like ah this is just this is just dumb. I want to take pictures. Why am I reading this book? Because you know like a lot of people who don't have a clue. I thought you just pushed a button. You know like just let me go take pictures of chairs with their shadow or something. Whatever. Come on, give me an A. And uh, <laughs> just God, yeah, because everything I don't know everything was like easy for me, and this was suddenly like this is not the way I thought this was going to go. Um, so it was great though because she really uh, didn't take any of my crap and like forced me to, to try and, um, you know, give a damn about this thing that I was just taking as a, as a thing to fill my schedule out. And the first time I finally got to go out and shoot something and then come in the dark room and I put a blank, you know, piece of white paper in some liquid and something that, that my eye had seen, something that existed in my head just appeared in this liquid. It, blew my mind apart it was like just uh, i couldn't process it i couldn't handle it i was like i don't even understand what's happening this is amazing this is the coolest thing ever uh forget fighter jets this is what i want to do this is this is freaking crazy and i just like my whole life's mission changed and my parents got really pissed off uh, they were like, <laughs> what are you talking about this is absurd go be an engineer go make money uh, and I was like, no, no, I want to be, I want to be poor. Um, so, so I started talking to my teacher and I'm like, look, okay, uh, you were right. Uh, I was wrong. Just, uh, don't let anyone else hear that. And, uh, what, what do I got to do to like, I don't know, at least be able to afford McDonald's on a salary in this job. And she was, was like, you know, there's photojournalism. You could be, you know, you can go the art side. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know about the art side, but maybe the journalism side. That sounds cool. Um, so she was like, you know, look, this, this, this is this contest. It's called the College Photographer of the Year. You should look at it. Um, you should you should look at who's winning it and where they're going to school. And that might give you an idea of where you could go learn more about this stuff. So I looked at it. And that year I looked at it. I guess that was 2000 five CPOY. So I guess they were images from 2004 um, or so. I don't know. It, it was 2005 was the year though, because it's when I was applying to colleges and uh, like Ohio university won like 65% of the awards or something that year it was crazy. And I'm like, well, this is clearly the place you want to go. Um, so, yeah. So I, I was inspired by that work. I was, my mind was blown by just the process of it. Um, and, and like I said, you know, I just liked, I was always naturally curious. So I figured this is going to be a cool way to get to learn new things and meet people and figure out what makes them tick. And, and I had a lot of fun. So that's kind of what got me into it. And then I went to OU and realized that I just had no idea what I was doing um, at all. And I was really fortunate that I also had professors there who bought none of my bull crap. And forced me to to really, you know, try and learn and branch out. And it was another thing, you know, I would go take my normal classes and like I never studied for a test and never had to. But I had to bust my hump in the photo stuff. And I think that really kept me coming back to it, too. It was something that challenged me and uh, always challenged me, even until, you know, I mean, even to today. I went and did the Breeders' Cup um, a couple of weeks ago, I guess, whatever the second was, so I guess not that not even a couple of weeks ago. And I hadn't really picked the camera up since I left the paper, maybe, maybe once or twice. 
And um, it was crazy. I was just like, you know, I, and I loved it because I felt like I was getting my butt kicked the whole weekend. But it was just that that thrill of, you know, I could screw this up. I got to I got to actually like, you know, work at this. I don't know. It might sound stupid, but that was always the fun part for me. I saw Scott Strozani speak one time in the Northern Shore course. And he said something like, you know, I wake up every day wondering if today's going to be the day that they figure out I don't know what I'm doing. And I was like, oh, my God, that was my whole career. (laughs) Yeah, I I totally felt like I had no idea what I was doing all the time. Scott, thanks for telling me that. Do you know, I think that that as actually I I grew up with a father who was a salesman. Mm. And uh, Blair sold shoes for Bass Shoes. And he had one of those where your career transitions from, you know, you come into a store with a sample case and you spread out your shoes and you, and you do have this big pad of paper. I remember these big, huge order pads that he would have that he would fill out. If I went with him or I would sit watching him in his office at home, dealing with these orders. And, you know, as the world transitioned, you know, it, it it went away from having those kinds of guys in stores. Like there were more went more towards catalogs and and whatever. So he kind of got transitioned out of his job, and so he but he was also a shoe designer. And I, the one thing I learned from him was that you better be prepared for someone to decide to tap you on your shoulder and say, "Today's today's the last day." And so I always had that uncomfortable feeling, and I think that it relates to what you're talking about, the idea that pe- pe- someone's going to figure out that I don't know what I'm doing, but it, it, the idea that that it, it, it all can end in a moment's notice, and as long as you approach your job with that kind of honesty that about yourself and not have some kind of false narrative about yourself that you'll survive longer and be happier. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean all the time that I was in, you know, the newspaper life I watched, uh, I mean, everywhere I was, I watched downsizing and, you know, I was fortunate to work with some amazing journalists and photojournalists. Um, and I, you know, every single year I was at uh, the news journal that we, we had a round of layoffs. Um, and every single year, you know, I could certainly understand some of them, you know, like some of these guys, they're still doing this the way it was done 10 years ago. Um, you know, things have changed. They don't want to adapt. I understand why this moves being made. And then some of them, I didn't understand it at all. This is the, this is the model employee. This is the person who's doing everything you want. Why would you let this person go? It doesn't make any sense. And, um, you know, for me, you know, I saw a lot of people who would keep saying, oh, you know, I'm going to be fine. I know how to do this. I have these skills. Uh, I'm what they need. You know, I'm I'm great. And and it was just this experience. I mean, just, yeah, you know, that might be 90 percent of the people they let go. But there's always a couple in there that just don't make any sense that, you know, I, always in the back of my head is like, that's nah, that next fall. That could be me. That could I could be that one. Um, so, I mean, that kept me on my toes. It always also kept me looking at the the multimedia and photo jobs board just to know what was out there all the time. Um, and I had, you know, some great mentors that always had this crazy positive attitude, like, no, you can't look at it that way. No, you can't think that way. And it always, I always just thought they were insane. And, and I think, you know, to a certain extent, that's what they had to keep saying to themselves too. Cause if they obsessed over it, you know, at, at 45 or 50 in the field, you know, that's, that's a big, big difference than, you know, being 30 and, you know, not having kids, um, and wondering what to do if you get laid off, you know, it, it's, it's a whole different ball game when you got a kid in college and you're paying tuition bills and a mortgage and everything. Um, but yeah, I, that, that always for me was in the back of my head of just, you know, keep the resume polished always, you know, don't get complacent, don't get lazy, don't, yep. don't get into, um, you know, a routine or whatever, because you got to be ready to, you know, market yourself or make sure that your stuff is current or that you're up on the new technology and the new skills and whatever. It, it just, yeah, it always keeps you on your toes now. There's no real moment to relax. No, there isn't. And that's, you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons why we started the podcast. I mean, it was something, something different to do, some another expression, another way to connect with people, both in the business and in the community. And, you know, I mean, it's just another multimedia facet 
Now, speaking on a completely different tack, Joe Biden, one good Joe Biden story. Oh, one good Joe Biden story? Well, um, I mean, I, so so I've covered a lot of Joe Biden. And I, I covered him on the campaign trail in 2009 um, when he came through Ohio on a couple stops. Um, and then, you know, being out here his whole second term as vice president, I got to cover him quite a bit. Uh, probably the best Joe Biden story I have, and it's such a little silly thing. Um, but for like the better part of the last two years of, that he was in office, I tried, I kept trying to set up like, uh, like shadowing him for a day. I just wanted to see like, what's a day in the life of the vice president like? Because, you know, and Joe Biden has, you know, the, the Joe Biden character to him. Um, but, you know, the, the job of vice president all in all is pretty boring. I mean, you know, the guy's only real job is to break a tie in the Senate. And and outside of that, and then you know, replace the president if God forbid something happens. So, you know, what what, what does he actually do other than just be Joe Biden all day? Um, and so we had something kind of worked out uh, right at the end of 2015, I guess, and then um, maybe it was 14. It was right before Bo got really sick, and so you know, we had something worked out. We were going to spend the day there. Um, just kind of shadow what he does all day. And then Bo got really sick and everything kind of closed off. And uh, that was tough because it was like I worked for months to lay the groundwork for this project and it just poof, vanished. And and then Bo died and you know, covering the funeral was just, ugh. it was, it, it was, I mean, one of the hardest assignments I've ever had to watch. Here's somebody that, I mean, I, outside of the whole like oh i'm gonna grow up and be an astronaut or whatever thing i mean like i also like watched c-span too because i was a super nerd and like admired joe biden as a senator so here's a guy that i've watched since i was like 13 years old on tv and, and you know understood his policies and now i'm watching the worst day of his life next to probably the day his wife died um so it was just terrible but you know time went past that and he was getting ready to leave office and i approached the staff again i'm like look we had this all worked out before. What can we do to make this work again? Is there anything in the last couple of weeks, you know, before he goes and might ride off into the sunset, this could be it for his public career that we can do. So again, it took like probably four weeks of back and forth. And you know, this is what we can do. This is what we can't do. Then I had to get my editors on board with it again. Um, but they finally, everybody was like, yeah, cool. Uh, we'll give you like here's the day he's got these three events planned. Um, you know, we can give you some time in his office with him, whatever. And I was like, finally, like, yes, here we go. So I went down, got there in the morning, hung out in the, the, the white house, um, briefing room for a little bit. Uh, I got to see, you know, a bunch of guys that I don't normally get to see because I'm not in DC much. And then, you know, they came, got me said, Hey, you know, got some time for you in his office. And so I am sure someone said to him, Hey, uh, you're going to have a photographer coming from Delaware today. Uh, just pretend he's not here. Because as soon as I walk in the room, he looks at me and he goes, ah, you're the photographer. And I was like, yes, sir. And he's like, they told me I'm supposed to pretend that you're not here. And I just looked at him and I was like, yes, sir. He's like, I'm not doing a very good job of that right now. And I'm like, sir, you can do whatever you want. You're the vice president. And he's like, well, all right, I'm going to do my best to pretend you're not here. You go, you go do what you need to do. And, and it was just such a Joe Biden moment. Like, you know, his staff has told him this and he's probably said, yeah, okay. Yeah. Not a problem. And then in his head, he's like, ah, I'm going to get him when, they, when he comes in here. Um, he was really cool. He, he, he was having a meeting about his, uh, his cancer moonshot. He had a bunch of advisors in the room and one of the advisors phone rings and he, he looks, you know, it's his mom calling him in the middle of the day. I'm assuming, you know, she probably does like, oh, what, what, why on earth is my mom calling me? And so he picks up, he's, 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 he's everything. All right, what's, what's the matter? And then he seemed like, I'm in a meeting with the vice president. And he looks and he's like, give me the phone. And so this guy hands it, hello? Yeah, well, look, I'm in a meeting with your son right now. No, he's doing a great job. He's a great job. He's a great kid. Let me tell you. No, no. And so then he proceeds to have like a 10 minute phone conversation with this guy's mom in, in the middle of this policy meeting. Um, it was it was just I don't know. It, Joe Biden, the thing I think I love the most about him is just there's a lot of politicians in Washington, but he is 100 percent. What you see is what you get. And you hear that about some people here and there. But like legitimately, that guy. Uh, I just, what he is when you see him on TV or in public, 
is who he is all the time. It's just uh, he'll come to events here in the state and, uh, you know, he'll stay for an hour and a half after he's done talking to make sure that anybody who wants to get a photo with him can get a photo with him. Anybody who wants to shake his hand can shake his hand. Um, you know, and the Secret Service will be trying to drag him out of the room like we need to go. We have a whatever. And he's like, I'm the vice president. Uh, these people are here to see me. Uh, I'm going to shake their hand. So, yeah, I don't know. He's, just, he's a great guy. That was I mean. I got to meet him at the DNC. I got to take his portrait beforehand. That was cool. Um, you know, I, I've covered God knows how many speeches and campaign events. Um, but he's just a really cool guy. So anytime I get to do something with Joe, cool day, good day. Yeah, he, I've I've covered him a couple of times, but nothing to that extent. But the I I I don't remember who spoke at my college graduation. I have no idea. When I graduated from University of Iowa, couldn't tell you. I can't tell you. I can't remember who any of the guest speakers were, but my sister-in-law graduated from Mary Crest College in Davenport, Iowa, and Joe Biden spoke at her graduation. That I remember. Yeah, he likes to do that, too. He'll pop up at some random places. He'll just be like, he's, he's giving a speech at where now? Uh, all right. That was it. It was we were my father-in-law and I just sitting like, wow, that was kind of impressive. I mean, he just, he just, it was just a really good, I mean, so many of those speeches are so bad and he just gave a really good commencement speech for this little nursing college in Davenport, Iowa that actually doesn't even exist anymore. Hey, I, I've kept you away from your job and uh, the newsroom has actually buzzed me twice. Since we've been talking, a MedForce helicopter has landed on the highway, which I had to send somebody to. And then a house fire broke out, which I had to send somebody to. Well, all, all while you the multitask skills well, because you were doing that the whole time. I had no idea. Well, I, I you know, I, I can I can listen and type on a laptop. That's why I brought the laptop with me because I'm talking to you via my iPhone. <laughs> and if I talk to you on my iPhone, I'll end up hanging up on you. So that's, that'd be no good. Well, I can't uh, thank you enough. You you are a wonderful storyteller. And both verbally and visually and uh, through your work of photography and video, but also verbally in your written world. I loved your DuPont stuff on your, I love abandoned things. I, I love those pictures. I love going places like that. And you took me someplace I'd never been before. This is going to be one of our better podcasts. I think, I think that your, your, your storytelling about all the things that you've talked about has been marvelous and and thought-provoking and interesting and whatnot. Well, I, so. I really appreciate that. I, uh, I I don't know that I completely agree, but well, but I'm glad that you enjoyed it. You know, you, you'd be kind of a jerk if you t- turned around and said, hey, you know, I am a great storyteller. Thanks for having <laughs> me on your podcast. You know, okay, so not to, not to get into a whole other story, but it's funny that my first ever uh, job review um, – with with that editor in Evansville, we're sitting down, you know, annual annual review time, first one I've ever had in my career. And he goes, you know, the images you're making, great stuff. Um, you're doing doing really good work. Um, you know, really the only criticism I have is uh, you're kind of an asshole. And I was like, what? And I was like, he's like, yeah, it's not a bad thing um, necessarily. It's just so you know, you just, sometimes you can be a dick. And I'm like, okay, well, that's good to know. I mean, it was the most honest critique I've ever had in my life. And I, uh, and I thank him every single day for it because like I said, the best people I ever had, whether it was in high school, college, uh, my career, they called me on my bull crap. And, you know, I, every time they did, I took it and, and tried to not have as much bull crap. I guess that was kind of the lesson I always got from it. So I don't know, you know, I mean, it, that, that assessment might be more accurate. Who knows? Hey, uh, I do want to say before I get up, we, we end this. Um, if you've made it this far into the podcast, congratulations! Um, <laughs> glad I can't I even say hello to my mom because she's not with us anymore. She might be the only person who's been listening this long. Hey, uh, you know it's 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 still her job, I'm sure, no matter what. <laughs> that's uh, right. But then she's listening it. all the time, and that's, that's weird. Right. right. But uh, but no, you know if you're if if you're listening, if you're an NPPA member and you're listening, elections are going on now. So uh, it's election time. Get out there and vote. Uh, a lot of good candidates uh, on on for the board. Uh, if if you're in the Midwest region, the Southeast region, or the, or the South region, uh, great candidates up for regional chairs. And you know every year we have 
uh, we have an election of some sort, whether it's the board or the regions. And every year it's crazy. Uh, you know, we hear a lot of stuff from people about the things that they want to see changed in the organization um, or things that they want to see done. And we just don't get a ton of participation. Uh, I mean, it can be like 10% of the membership votes. And it's just crazy um, because there's just there's just a, it's such a disproportionate amount of complaints to votes. So if you if you want to see some change happen or you, you know, want to have your voice heard, go vote, go do it. And, and join if you're not a member. And, and join vote. if you're not a member. Join before January 1st because uh, membership dues are going up, which is one more reason people can hate me because <laughs> as treasurer, that is 100% my doing. Uh, but you, Wait a minute. You're not only – you're treasurer too? Oh, oh. Uh, like I said, I've worn many hats for the organization. So uh, I, I was the Region 3 slash Mid-Atlantic clip chair, and then I was the regional chair's representative, which is like the speaker of the house for all the, uh, all the regional ch- clip chairs on the board. And the executive committee. Uh, and then I did that for long enough. I was like, you know what? Uh, the contest is enough. I, I need to step back a little bit. Uh, I'll just run for a board seat. You know, then I don't quite have all the responsibilities of the executive committee stuff and the regional stuff. So I'll run for a board seat. I'll step out of those roles. Uh, one, and then we're at the board meeting last month and or, or this past winter, the last board meeting in, in February. And uh, Carolyn Hall, uh, who was a fantastic uh treasurer carolyn hall jensen um decided she didn't want to work for a second term and nobody really volunteered and i'm looking around the room and i'm like really guys really nobody 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 wants to raise their hand okay all right yeah sure throw my name in that and melissa little looks at me and she goes you understand what you're what you're you're throwing your name in for and i was like yeah just just do it just just do it and uh and then i hate everyone in that room for voting for me i just like guys come on like, what were you thinking? Did like, they vote for you because you're an asshole? I probably, <laughs> I mean, I literally sat up there and told them, I'm like, look, you guys know I can be an asshole. So do what you got to do. Um, but, you know, we, it was one other candidate. Um, you know, we didn't, nobody really was really familiar with him. And, and I did, I didn't want to leave us with one option. You know, I it may be a great guy, but I didn't, just nobody really knew. Um, and so I'm like, look, I'm just going to give you an alternative and I'll step outside the room and take 10 minutes and vote for him. And at least it wasn't unopposed. And like an hour later, they brought me back in. And I was like, are you kidding me? Um, so, so yeah, I've been running the, the, the contest and, um, and, and being treasurer for the last year. And it's been, um, it's interesting. I will say I, Matt Gade is, is my associate chair with the, the, with the clip contest. And I could not do the contest without Matt. Um, you know, Matt handles most of the point tracking and the, uh, the, the posting of the results. And if I didn't have him to do that, I would lose my mind. Um, he frees me up to deal with all the interfacing with the clip chairs and the judges and dealing with the complaints from entrance. Doing, doing the, the podcast interviews. Doing the podcast interviews. I, I had a, an entrant in Alaska this month who didn't have Photoshop or photo mechanic and had no idea how to put caption information into his images. And I'm sitting here like, I have no idea how to tell you how to do this. I was like, you know, look, you can download a trial of Photo Mechanic and then just like every month change your email address. Um, I, that's the best, best uh, advice I can give to you at this point because I really don't know how to help you. Um, and I, it, literally in my head, I'm like, I mean, I guess in Alaska, you know, if it's a small paper, you're, you're probably just doing what you got to do. Um, but I just in my head, I'm like, how do you submit those images every month? Like, what process are you guys still using that there's no metadata involved? Whoa. All, that... I, all I've got to say is I still have ink in my fingers from cutting clips and putting sticky pieces of paper on the back of the thing and putting it in an envelope and mailing it. I think I have PTSD from that. I, I'm serious <laughs> that the the idea of entering a contest digitally to me, I don't care how complicated or convoluted you make it. I'm not sitting with scissors, and and I don't have a pile of newspapers in the in the corner of the house so that I have to save them for clips. And I can go down into my bed ba- at some point when we move out of our house. I'm going to go downstairs and take the clip files, <laughs> and I'm going to cathartically launch them into the dumpster. 
I do have like four uh, like like giant containers of newspapers in the basement somewhere uh, from just, you know, whatever. I, it, it's probably a good thing that my career didn't go a whole lot longer in newspapers because I, I might have been a class five hoarder at that point with just papers with clips in them. I, I'll just send you a picture of my basement when we're off the air. <laughs> you <laughs> you right. want to know what a class five hoarder looks like? I'm hit. Thanks for being on the podcast, Kyle. All right. This is Todd Meisner for the Talking Pictures Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. The Talking Pictures Podcast is produced by Todd Meisner with help from Todd Welvert, Meg McLaughlin, Brian Achenbach, and Gary Crambeck. With a special thanks to Laura Frames, Randy Fisk, and Laura Anderson-Shaw. The music was provided by Kevin McLeod at www.incomputech.com. To see some of the photos and videos discussed in our podcast, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog at talkingpicturespodcast.blogspot.com. Make sure you never miss a podcast by subscribing to the Talking Pictures Podcast on iTunes or Podbean. That does get me. I'm just really mad that the Sixers and Eagles are good now. You know, I just I need four <laughs> years of covering them through like the worst, like the Chip Kelly era. Good Lord.